Welcome to HubSpot's Unconventional Business Podcast. I'm your host, James Gilbert. The best companies are the ones that make it incredibly easy and delightful to do business with. It's seamless, frictionless, intuitive. It's not just a better experience, they're actually disrupting our very notion of what consumers should be able to expect from companies. You see, Aussies and Kiwis are a hard bunch to please. We have some of the highest expectations in the world, and luckily for us, our homegrown businesses know this. This season, on HubSpot's Unconventional Business, you'll be meeting some of our best homegrown brands as they share how they're growing and winning by disrupting the customer experience. Let's meet today's guest. Australians have a few obsessions, but I'd probably say the number one is home ownership. Nearly 70% of Australians own their own home, the other 30% of us rent. And one thing we all have in common is that we deal with property management companies, whether they're good, bad, or otherwise. It's an industry that's been around as long as homes have, and it's traditionally been pretty rigid. The pricing's been not clear to the best of us and sometimes communications around things that need fixing or improving go missing, causing it to be a frustrating experience for all involved. That's where Mina Radhakrishnan, the co-founder and co-CEO of Difference, saw an opportunity. She saw firsthand how you could combine operations and technology at Uber to provide a delightful experience and she wanted to do the same for the property management industry. And that's exactly what she's doing with Different. So join us to hear about how they're disrupting the customer experience as it relates to your property. Mina, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. So Mina, for people that don't or have not experienced Different yet, how would you describe the company and, and how did it come to be? Yeah, so I think the way that we think about Different is that we're rebuilding property management. And, um, you know, it's it's one of these things where, um, you know, actually I'm, I'm the co-CEO and co-founder of Different because I very fortunately happen to be building it with my husband, who um, runs the other side oh. of the business from me. And I think uh, one of the things that we did when we said we actually started out this journey saying we wanted to run a business together and we were looking for an idea that we felt like we could really sink our teeth into and focus on and um build something great uh and we we um we have this long list of ideas most of which are really really bad um and somehow magically in the process of creating this long list of very bad ideas we came up with the idea of different and a lot of it was inspired by my father-in-law who like many australians has an investment property um has had the same property manager for a very long time has been paying fairly high fees and yet just hasn't really been super happy with what's going on and in the process of working with my father-in-law just making sure that his retirement savings were in a good place that everything was well set up we were looking at what was happening with his investment property and In the process of discovering that and then talking to other friends and family and other people who are in a very similar situation, we realized that property management in Australia is an industry that really hasn't changed for a very, very long time. And there are a lot of pieces to it that I think lend itself very, very well to being redone by technology. And as we were talking to all these people that we knew, we felt like, hey, here's an industry where we can build something that will really genuinely change this experience, not just for the people who own investment properties, but actually also for the people who live in investment properties and for the property managers who have to deal with the problems of investment properties. And and I'll tell you, just having been in property management now and working in this business for, for three or four years, it is a tough business. It's a really hard thing when basically you've got people who are coming to you all day long with problems, essentially, right? And you want to make people happy Mm. and you want to try and and make home feel like a sanctuary, make it feel like a good place. And then on the flip side for uh, investment property owners, make sure that they're getting the most value and uh, protection for their investment, which is probably one of the largest assets in their portfolio. It's definitely, I think, yeah, it's the biggest investment most most people make. And it's something to your point that like we all interact with it from some point of view, whether that's you as a tenant, you as the owner, you as the owner occupier, even sometimes you're, you're needing services. It seems like an industry that on its surface though, is not one that is necessarily ripe for technology to solve. Like a lot of the elements that we talked about are very human elements, but I know different has tried to take a more technology plus human approach to it like what made you think there was room for technology in in this area 
Yeah. You know, and when I think about real estate, I do think about sales and property management is very, very different functions. I would never want to build a business in the sales industry, except maybe sitting on the side, um, you know, helping with documents or signing or things like that, because I really believe that sales is a very, um, you know, people centric, almost a, a therapist type of industry. Property management, though, and, and I think this is a really important thing is, you know, it's not just about technology and it's not just about people. It's about those two things coming together. And I, I really, I don't, I don't think that property management can be done just by technology. I don't think you take all the people out. The, and the way in which we build our business absolutely doesn't reflect that. It, it's very much about like hiring high quality experienced property managers who want to focus on like hard human problems and pairing that with like really high quality engineers, products and product managers, designers who want to develop high quality technology to take away sort of everyday mundane problems. And I think when I look at the world of property management, it's kind of, it falls into the sort of 80-20 split where 80% of it is you've got a checklist of things that need to be done. You need to follow up, make sure that they're done. You need to confirm, and then you need to let everybody know that those things are done. You have to do them at a certain time. You have to make sure that they're done in that order. And, and that's the stuff that I think technology is actually really good at. And I think that people aren't necessarily the best at, right? We're forgetful. We tend to procrastinate. You know, we've got other things that come up, things get interrupted. Nothing interrupts technology. It just does the thing that it's supposed to do and it follows in the exact order and it just makes sure that it happens. And then you've got this other 20% of stuff, which is you know really hard where you do need to have compassion and sympathy and negotiation. I think that that is a big part of property management as well. And that's what we want our, um, what we call our operations team, which is experienced property managers to focus on. So like, for example, a leaky tap making sure that your rent payment is done. Those are very clear, simple, standardized things, right? We can, we can automate that through technology. It can go away. There's a leaky tap. Okay, great. Where is it? Okay, have you tried all of these five things? Yep, you tried those five things. None of them work. Great. We've got to get a plumber in to fix it and change the, change the piping or fix the ring or do whatever it happens to be. But then you've got the 20% of stuff like, hey, I'm really struggling with COVID. I don't know what to do. I've lost my job. I can't make this happen. What, what, I can't pay my rent on time. Help me. What do I do here? How do you do this? Have that negotiation, that discussion between the landlord and the owner. Find a way to come to a compromise, solve this problem. That's when you need people. And I, and I think that that's, it's thinking about the world in that way um, is what allows us to be able to create a better and more human experience with property management. Because a lot of people think that technology is this dehumanizing thing. And actually, I just don't fundamentally believe that. I think that if you're trying to do something simple like get access to a doctor, document or just check in on this thing that you'd forgotten about. Do you really want to pick up the phone and wait 30 minutes for somebody to come back to you? Or do you just want to open the app, press a button and be like, yep, cool. There's a document. Okay, great. Let me browse through it. And here I'll type in a few, a text message if I've got a question. I, I think that people would actually rather have that. I know I certainly would. I don't want to pick up the phone and call people every time I have a problem. Hopefully I can just get the problem solved and dealt with myself without having to wait for somebody else to go deal with it for me. So I agree wholeheartedly. You actually just reminded me I've forgotten to pay my rent and my landlord has not reminded me. Clearly not a customer <laughs> yet where, where I'm recording in Singapore. Um, I, I get scared about automatically scheduled payments. So I try to limit them. That's, that's not scheduled yet. Uh, but I think that's right. And that's, a, that's an interesting take where I think from the outside when people look at businesses and they think about technology disruption, they immediately go to a lot of people, a doomsday scenario where it's going to take jobs and then it's like, what are we going to do? But there is this hybrid approach, which is the best of both worlds, where it actually, what it does is it removes a lot of the mundane tasks and a lot of the very repeatable processes that without technology, you have to rely on people and, and actually it's a lose-lose for everybody involved with it. And what you can enable technology to do is to liberate people of those mundane tasks so they can focus on more engaging work, which is still like vital, as you said, for a human to actually be doing versus software and versus answering the same question or copying and pasting the same doc all day long to, to a bunch of different tenants. The, the COVID example you brought up is interesting. I, you know, 2020, interesting is an understatement for this year. I think as it relates to COVID and housing, we saw a lot of interesting developments around, um, you know, the like rent protection and protection against evictions and things like that. How did that look from difference perspective, essentially being that enabler between tenant and owner? 
I imagine there were some pretty fascinating scenarios that popped up for you. Yeah, you know, I yeah, interesting is is definitely not enough of a word to describe 2020. It is it has been a year like no other. Um, we and we we had a number of tenants obviously who were affected by this. You know, like if you you own a gym in Queensland or like what what are you going to do? Mm-hmm. You know, this this just it, it's yeah. not your fault, not in anyone's control. And we we definitely I think. We're, I think we're fortunate in that many of our many of our tenants um, and, and owners were able to come to an amicable resolution. Like we had tenants who were like, hey, look, I'm okay. Don't worry. I'm going to make sure I pay the rent on time. Let the landlord know like we're in a good place. This isn't going to bother us. Like we actually had tenants who wrote to us and said that. We had um, an owner who like, you know, was on vacation somewhere, didn't really have cell service, trekked to the top of the hill just so he could call us and let us know that, you know, hey, let my, I, I know, like he, he happened to know that his tenant was going to be in a, an industry that was going to be significantly affected by COVID, proactively gave us a call and said, don't worry, whatever my tenant needs, I want to keep them there. I want to keep them happy. I want to make sure they're taken care of. Like I will, I will support it. And like, you know, gave them a rent reduction or a deep deferred rent. So when you've got, when you've got great tenants and great owners, like people who are understand that this is just extraordinary circumstances and, you know, you can dig your heels in all day long, but you actually have to find a way to work with the other person. So we, we had a number of those and that, that works really well. Um, it's hard. It's hard. I get it on both sides. You know, if you're, if you're a tenant, you've lost your job, what do you do? You need a place to live. Like you can't pay the rent. And at the same time, you're a property owner, you have to pay your mortgage. What do you do? Like you don't, you don't have that, that extra income coming from somewhere. The money's got to come from somewhere. Right. So I, I get, I get the difficulty on, on both sides and as much as possible, what we try to do is just try to bring both sides to the table. And, and that's, that's just negotiation, right? The, the core of negotiation. It's like, it, there's not going to be some perfect outcome. Unfortunately, it's a really tough situation. What we've got to do is find a way to work together and, and just find each other's kind of humanity in that. You know, I think that COVID can either make people nasty or it can bring people together. And where, where it really sort of brings out the best in human nature is, I think, ultimately the, most, the, the best way to try and sort of not just deal with property, but deal with life in general, right? And, and I think these yeah. kinds of extraordinary circumstances really just kind of show people in their truest light. And has it been a thing that has been a positive for different? Has it, I imagine um, one of your value propositions to owners is that you are more affordable than traditional property management is would would that be right and if so is that um during this time has that meant you've seen more people signing up for different or how has that looked yeah absolutely i mean i think that sort of we, we certainly save owners a ton of money right because we charge a flat fee which is a hundred dollars a month as opposed to sort of some weird random negotiated percentage of your weekly rent um you know that goes up and down depending on kind of what the neighborhood is like or what the rent market is like like it's just you know what you're getting so i think that definitely appeals to mm-hmm. people um you know we, we've had a good year at different i would say that's in spite of covid rather than because of it um and it's tough because you know like obviously there are a lot of owners who um because the rent, rents have been decreased significantly, right? Um, and it's a it's more more of a tenants market than a than an owners market. Um, so we've had tenants deaf or owners who have who have chosen to take their properties off the market completely because they couldn't get the price they needed for it. Um, we've had um, owners, a lot of owners who've sort of sold their properties and moved back in because they're not in a position where they can continue to afford the mortgage. Um, so I, I think that it has been it has been a tough year in general for investment property owners and and for tenants as well. Um, you know, and, and we we we've had we've definitely had more interest I think as a result of our of our pricing um and it's not just our pricing i think because it's it's not i wouldn't i wouldn't think of it as price i think of it as value i think that you get you know you, mm-hmm. you get fair value right um and so we've had a lot of people be interested but i think also it's um it's a time when people aren't quite as ready to make changes. It's a little bit more of a like, oh my gosh, do I do I go to different? Like, what do I do? There's so much other stuff I think that's brewing in people's minds that it's difficult sometimes to just sort of like take the leap and, and make it through. But I think that we, we've had a really good year. We've had a lot of people move over um, because the other thing I think is that there's, there's this myth in the property management world that you can't move until your tenant goes out, that somehow your property manager owns your tenant. And, it, and it's an absolute myth because it's like, doesn't really matter. Your property manager doesn't own your tenant. You have the lease, right? And so like you can move over to anybody mm-hmm. at any time. We take care of all of the work for you. Like it's like you can just you press the button, you sign and that's it. It's done. And like so I think that that's been a really good thing for people where they're like, oh, wow, I, I didn't actually realize this thing was so easy. Thank you for taking this work away from me, you know, and so that's been a, a really positive thing that has, has definitely been enhanced by kind of this year. And when it sounds like your approach in this industry has been unique across a bunch of fronts what were some of the myths that you found to be as you were entering it 
you were worried could mean, oh, if that myth is true, different's going to really struggle that have turned out to not be true? Yeah, I think this first one where it's that, you know, you, you can't leave your property manager until the tenant leaves as well, that somehow the, the tenant belongs to your property manager, um, I think is like mm-hmm. a, a big one where we really um, sort of, you know, work to educate people that that's actually not the case. You know, your relationship is the one as an owner is the one that you have with the tenant you don't need to worry about the property manager they're sort of a, a subset of that um so that that's definitely one thing i think another thing is and i think that this is just the nature of um <clears throat> you know new companies coming into an industry obviously we're dealing with companies that have been um you know have been a brand for a very very long time and we're, we're a new company we're young we've, we've we recently come into this business and so there's this sense of like can I trust them? Like, what if something goes wrong? Mm. And so I think like one thing that, you know, we, we've really worked hard to do is, is first of all, you know, as I said, we, we don't believe that technology solves every problem. The people that we have on our operations team are experienced property managers, people who have five, eight, 10, 12 years of property management experience, just really, really excellent people. Like our head of customer service, um, customer experience at Different is just phenomenal. Um, and I, I don't think that you can find agents like her, quite frankly, in any agency. Um, our head of leasing is just is also just amazing. Like she just recently joined us and like the you look at her background and her knowledge, like I think any agency would just die to have her. And so we feel very lucky to have those people on our team. So I think that that's one really big thing, right, um, is that we do have experienced, high quality people, even if we don't necessarily have a hundred year old brand. And, and I think the big thing around it that we've really said is, you know, we, we're going to put our money where our mouth is. We offer every uh, new person, every new owner who signs up with us a free year of landlord insurance with different something goes wrong. You're covered. It's on us because we're like it's literally the case of putting your money where your mouth is, right? It's not it's not easy or cheap for us to do that, but we believe in it. We believe it's the right thing, and we want owners to feel peace of mind. That that's the most important mm-hmm. thing I think you have with your investment property is just I know it's going to be sorted out, right? And that that's the key around what we really try to do with different. The, one of the things I think is really interesting about your story with different is that you know sometimes when people start a business, it's because they've acutely felt the pain themselves and they're like oh i have to solve this if for no one else but myself and it sounds like you got to bear witness to that in a pretty deep way with your father-in-law but it also sounds like at the same time you and your husband were looking for a business to do together which uh, actually my parents did a business together it's definitely a pro con thing and it's a net it's generally a net positive but it's not without its risks, I think, uh, given, you know, there, there's sometimes very little time then in between work, home and nowhere else um, <laughs> for, for the people in the relationship. Can you talk a bit about that process, like why you both wanted to do a business together and then, you know, a lot of people when they are deciding what business to do it's because of that acute pain and they get a lot of satisfaction out of like if i only solve this for me that's actually okay but for you both as this being something you witnessed as i guess an opportunity and matching that with this desire to do a business together what can you walk me through that thought process because i think that's somewhat that's very unique yeah no absolutely and and i think that like i think that's a very common thing where like a lot of people get into business you're like oh my god i'm totally gonna go solve this i've dealt with this pain before i'm ready to like you know tackle it myself and take and get rid of it for for every way um I, I think the way that that we went into it is that so where my husband and i actually have very complementary skill sets which is a good thing i think when you're in business together with your partner um you know and so like we've split up the business to kind of match the things that i think we're really good at um and so for example at different i run product design engineering and operations um and Rowan, my husband runs uh sales marketing um finance growth and, and the other kind of corporate functions and that's really kind of where his background is so i think just having that very clear separation um helps a lot in terms of like hey what what are you going to work on versus what i'm going to work on and then of course the larger um, strategic pieces of the business are things that we collaborate on very closely together um and it, and in many ways, um, we've got a we've got a we've got a toddler as well, and so in many ways, it's kind of like having two kids, right? So we've got we've got the mm. we've got the one that runs around and walks, and then we've got different as well. And so it's like, you know, you've got to raise a, ch- a child together. I think like you can think about a business in, in, in very much the same way. There's a lot of things about it that, you know, have have parallels in that sense. Um, in, in terms of sort of the way that we approached it, I think because we had these, we had both been, um, we'd both been in big companies. We'd both been kind of very early employees at companies that, um, 
were very small at times that we joined them and then ultimately like grew and became big. And we, we, we both kind of tried like those various things. And so for us, it was like, you know, I, I really feel ready to go and do my own thing. And we were both at it in the same place at that point. And so it was like, so let's, let's do it together because I think, um, we, we both knew just having been early employees at startups that like it can really take a toll on you. It is hard building a business from scratch and having somebody that you can trust on, that you can trust and rely on during that process is incredibly important. And who, who can you trust and rely on more than kind of your partner in life as well? Um, so I think that that for us is a really big positive, right? It's just like, there's no ulterior motives. There's nothing else. It's like, we know we're in this together and we're going to like solve it and, and, mm -hmm. and figure out a way to make it happen. So in the term, in terms of the process of actually thinking about, hey, what's the business we want to build? I think three things are really important to us. One is that it was a business that would affect like ordinary everyday people, right? It's not like, um, uh, like, you know, hey, let me build like, I don't know, like multi-million dollar watches for the very wealthy or something like mm -hmm. that. It was something that really yeah. would just sort of affect like people on a on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, secondly, that it had some sort of connection to the real world. And I think it's because like we've both been like, you know, I was Uber for a very long time. And a lot of people think about Uber as a tech company, which it absolutely is, but it's also very much an operations company. I think the reason that like Uber is so successful and does this is because it knows how to bridge that gap. And that's a really big moat. It's really hard to actually bring like operations and like physical logistical stuff to software and kind of meld those two things together. And we wanted to work on a business that had a real moat around it, you know, that could actually like mm -hmm. really just stand there on its own and, and be able to, to accomplish it. And then I think the third thing is that we wanted to um, build a business that, that actually was a real business, you know, like, Hey, can, can you make money out of this? <laughs> like, is there a way mm -hmm. to be able to create real, like really great, financial outcomes, not for us necessarily, but just for our employees and be able to build something that you're just genuinely excited to see grow and turn into something really big and meaningful. And as we'll put those yeah. sort of three things together and kind of thought about, okay, what are all the ideas that we could have? And, and most, most important, right? It had to be something that would be fun that we knew we wanted to, to work on and invest time in and put a lot of energy into. Um, and, and with that lens on it, um, you know, kind of falling into, Hey, this property management thing, like it really checks all of these boxes. Like this genuinely feels like something that we can make a difference in. The fun one. How does it check the fun one? I've, I've got <laughs> I've, every other box. I'm like, tick, 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 can see that. Yes, that's smart. Oh, the operations and technology, that's really smart. We're definitely going to ask about that. Then you threw in the fun. Where Where is the fun with property management? I feel that is often an oxymoron. Oh, yeah. Some days are hard. I wouldn't, I mean, property management is by no means one of these like sexy industries. It's not like self-driving cars mm. or something, right? But I think the fun around it, like for me personally, like what drives me is that how do we take this process that's so awful? How do we think take something that generally makes just people feel bad all the time and make them feel good? And I think that there's so much creativity involved in thinking about that, that like for me, that's a really fun thing to do. I can somewhat say that. I often get looked at in a bit of a weird way when sometimes I hear about a business that is extremely elegant in its design. Like I often think about Amazon and how their business lines play into each other and how I've said multiple times like, oh, it's so beautiful, like how this feeds into this and this. And friends that are not inclined to think nerd out about businesses <laughs> are like, it's so beautiful. <laughs> like what are you talking about? So so I can see the the beauty in making something elegant which which it sounds like traditionally it hasn't been the the moat that comes from technology plus operations that's a really interesting theme that I don't read a lot about but is one of those things that seems to make a lot of sense like can you um go a bit deeper on that and exactly like how you've thought about it at different and and even how that will look as you grow like i imagine when you're starting the business the ratio of uh operations to technology is probably different where the business will be in 10 years and and what will that look like over a long time horizon yeah, absolutely. And I, I think that like, look with the traditional agency, right? Um, you, you grow more and you have to add more people. And I think the way that we think the technology businesses in general, uh, you know, one of the reasons they're obviously highly valued is because they scale exponentially, right? Like you grow 10x, but you don't have to add 10x the number of people you add one X the number of people, right? Um, and I think that that's really kind of the value. And I think in a great concrete example of this is the way that we think about maintenance. So, um, 
our, our maintenance product, and, and, and it's not just one product, right? It's all of the pieces that come with it. It's what you see in the tenant app. It's what you see in the owner app. It's how we interact with tradies. It's our internal products that actually work to bring all of that together. Um, they're really tied together by one common thread, which is a data platform. And I think that's that's the really critical piece of it, right? So for example, if you're a tenant submitting a maintenance request, right? We, we don't allow you to just submit a maintenance request by sending us an email or sending us a text. And, and sometimes I think pretend that can feel a little bit annoying. It's like, oh, why are you making me do this thing, right? But the reality of it is at the end of the day, it actually is better for you as a tenant to use our app to submit a request. Because when you use our app to submit a request, here's what happens. You tell us the room that it's in. You tell us the type of problem that it's in. You add some photos and videos and you just like you type in a description. It's not that hard. It takes maybe like 30 seconds to like send us a maintenance request. So now when we receive that, right, we're not just getting some random email with a bunch of text in it or we're not getting like a text message with like not enough information. We're actually having it plugged in directly into the workflow system that we've built, which means that like on a daily basis, right, we can actually track and see, hey, what's come in and what's open today. It automatically classifies what's urgent and what's not urgent, depending on kind of the problem type and what we see as the severity of it and kind of where it is right and then what it does is like so our the way that our, our team works is like they actually have like a queue based workflow where they can continually look in and see okay what's the current status of every single maintenance request in our system and their job the way that they're set up to work is their their slas and their kpis their performance is based on how what percentage of my maintenance requests did i get closed within a reasonable time you know from start to finish so if you're a tenant and you put that put it in that way like you're building it indirectly into our workflow that means the minute that we review it and send it off to an owner for approval you get a push notification letting you know hey we reviewed your maintenance request it's been uh, set by us it looks like all the information is there it's been sent off to the owner for approval and we'll make sure that we get back to them in 48 hours if an owner hasn't approved a maintenance request we send them an automated reminder which says hey you haven't approved your maintenance request. We've sent you two messages already. We need you to look into it. If you don't approve it within 24 hours, we'll approve it on your behalf. Right. And so it's like we we get we let people know like, hey, this is what we're doing. And the tenant is kept aware of this the whole time automatically through their app. So I, I can't imagine a world in which like an email is better than a system like this, right? Where you can actually track at any given moment in time exactly what's going on. On the owner side, I think another really powerful piece of it is when you receive this request for a maintenance request to approve, it's not like, hey, tenant told us something was wrong in the house. It's, hey, there's a problem in your property. Here's the room that it's in. Here's the type of problem that it's in. Here are photos. Here are videos. Here's a description. And by the way, here's my, as, a, as an, as an op operations manager who has experience in, in properties and working in this, here's my personal notes on why I think you should approve this request and what I can think might be the problem. For example, hey, look, this I've seen this before. It looks like a hot water system that might be faulty. Here's what I think we should do. We should get somebody taking a look at this. And then as an owner, in addition to that, what you see is that for as um, for maintenance requests that are common, where we have past data and past information, we actually present a cost estimate to let people know, hey, 80% of requests of this type of problem in this area cost this much. So you know, and you have a range and can expect what it is that's happening. Every time we get a maintenance request, that data feeds right back into the system. Every time we get an invoice, that data feeds right back into the system. So we're continually refining and improving our data over time. And then when you say, hey, I want you to go find a tradesperson to fix it for me, the way in which we pick the tradesperson who's gonna fix it for you is based on real hard data. Like how, like every tradesperson who, who we have in our system, accepts a maintenance request, i.e. they explicitly say, I'm going to go do this job. In addition to that, they can actually schedule the job, right? And they can schedule it. And the tenant gets automatically notified and says, hey, it's been scheduled for this time on this date. Here's the details. Feel free to contact the person if you need to change the time or the date around it. Now we're tracking all of this in our system, right? So we know, hey, you know, this tradesperson, never accepts the job or he takes like, you know, 48 hours to accept the job, whereas most of these other people take 24 and we can let him know. So the way that our system then recommends tradespeople who should solve a problem is based on this data, who accepts, who schedules the job within a reasonable time versus the people who are constantly rescheduling, who, 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 who traditionally gives us um, prices in benchmark, right? As opposed to higher than mm -hmm. other people. So you know that you're getting a high quality tradesperson and high quality is not just based on a star rating, which by the way, we also do when a job is complete, the tenant in their app has the opportunity to um, basically put a satisfaction score, happy, unhappy. Are there issues that haven't been fixed? Is there something that hasn't been done that again, automatically gets tracked back in our system and our team is continuously monitoring to see, hey, are there any unhappy feedback from tenant on maintenance requests? Let's follow up and make sure that it gets resolved. So this this whole system, right, is is meant to be set up in such a way that you as a tenant can understand what's going on 
You have access Mm -hmm. to all the data. You're not reliant on your agent as like a middleman to like, you know, be in the person trying to schedule it. You as an owner have confidence that you, the thing that you want to done is going to get done. You know how much it's going to cost. You know what the current status of it is. And we as an operations team are tracking it and monitoring and setting our KPIs like against our ability to do that fast. In fact, we're so proud of how we do this that we actually put this up on our website. You can go to our website and see like, hey, how long does it take us to review a maintenance request? What's our average amount of time to get a tradesperson in? Because we believe in it because we have this data and I, I just, I don't believe there's a single agency out there that can do that. It sounds like it would do two things extremely well. One, while not at the same level as like a traditional pure technology company, it would enable you to service more clients without having to grow your headcount exponentially. Um, but it, it definitely sounds like there's still a pretty heavy human element that's needed and, and wanted to, to grow with you. But it would just make the experience, even probably more importantly, that makes the experience far more pleasant for owners and occupiers of of housing in that it gives a lot more transparency around a process and and probably predictability around a process that traditionally has not really been there. I think it's one of like the last, well, not last remaining, but it's definitely a bit of a black box industry when something happens in the house, like figuring out who's the right person, how much it's going to cost. Reminds me of having a car back in the day and something going wrong. It's like, (laughs) cool. This could be anywhere from a hundred bucks to two thousand dollars, and depending which mechanic you go to, the price will will bounce around like that. Yeah, and you know, I think the funny is a funny anecdote around it. One of our employees, actually, who in fact has also worked on kind of building out our maintenance process and making it really good, was what was actually one of our tenants as well. So as his owner. Um, of the oh, property okay. that he was renting happened to be a different owner. And then he he was also um, he was also our tenant as well. And, you know, he recently like moved to a new property and he was just like, and it was, and it was just really funny because he's actually commenting on like, like, you know, we, we talk about maintenance and, and hopefully we, we do it well. But like when you actually have somebody who's a tenant who's experienced maintenance through our system, and now he's experiencing maintenance as a tenant with like a traditional property manager. He's like, oh my God, it's night and day. Like I'm still sitting here waiting for this thing to happen and like come through. Like, I don't know where it is. I don't know what's going on. And like, I think that that is it's really validating. It's just like, hey, this, this really works. And it's not just about the owner. It's not just about the property manager. It's not just about the treaty. It's about the tenant as well. It's about everybody in this ecosystem. And I think that that's a really mm. key thing, right? It's like you can't build a good property management business just by focusing on the owner. You actually have to create a good experience for the tenant who, even though they're yeah. not like a customer technically, they are an actor in your system and you have to make sure that they have a good experience. That's That raises an interesting point, like that you are, you're really servicing both but you're selling to the owner. But I think if you consider a long time horizon by servicing the tenant well, eventually if they were to become an owner, they'd be like, oh, I need to use this system because it's going to make life far easier. Is there a way you use those tenants now to to bring on board more owners as, as like an acquisition channel for you, or that's just something you take the longer term view on? Yeah, I think we, we would love to, um, you know, 20, I think somewhere between 20 and 30% of tenants are rent investors, as it were, they rent a property, but they also have an investment property. So I think that that's absolutely something mm-hmm. that we would love to, to do. We want to give tenants great experiences um, so that they can also bring on their investment properties if they want to. But I think more, more deeply than that, like the way that we think about different is that, Um, today we're property management, but really the way that we see our business, the way that we've always seen our business is that we are the assistant for the home. That's what we want to do. And right now we focus on investment property homes, but ultimately we just want to be the assistant for the home, all homes, anywhere, whoever you are and everything we're doing with maintenance. Like if we can solve the leaky tap for the tenant who lives in the investment property at four Liverpool street, why can't we solve the leaky tap for the owner occupier who lives at six Liverpool street? just as well. And so I think key for us is let's build trust with our owners and with our tenants um, and show them that we can be really good property managers because ultimately what we're showing them in that way is that we're good assistants for their homes. And if we can do it for those Mm -hmm. homes, then we can do it for all homes. And I think that's the way that we've always looked at different is let's be your home assistant. The name different is that as simple as it sounds or like how did that come to be? <laughs> well, it, it started out with um, you can't spell different without rent. And so, you know, if you look oh. at our logo, actually, you'll see that the rent is actually lightly shadowed. Um, so we looked at a bunch of different cool. names for it. And um, 
think we tried transparent, but the domain name was taken. Uh, we tried a few different ones and, uh, and actually it was like, Hey, different. Like that actually works really well, like for what we're trying to do. Yeah. And so we, we love the name and I think it's, it's worked really well for us. I think uh, property management traditionally has been very proximity driven in terms of like you live at for Liverpool Street, you probably use a property manager that's within five kilometers. Your platform sounds like it would unlock that dynamic in in some ways. So how does that work exactly for you? And how do you think? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And I think that, you know, look, it's very important to recognize that when it comes to homes, there's certainly always some element of a, of a local experience and you've got to make sure that you have that. But I do think that much of what we do does not need you to be next door in order for you to be able to handle that, which is why we don't have an office on every street. Like it's just not quite frankly, we don't think a good use of our investors funds and we can make much more value. You can drive much more value out of that for owners and for tenants by like not focusing on that aspect of it. So what we've done is, um, is we have, we built out what we call our our, our home expert program, which is um, people who have uh, experience in working in those local areas. And our home experts are you know, typically people with some level of real estate experience, but don't want to do real estate full time. They are employees of different as well. Um, and what they do is they take care of the in-person home services. So for example, doing your in-going in inspection, um, opening up your property to show it to prospective tenants, doing routine inspections, um, that kind of thing. And, and I think that that's like a really important piece of it is you do have to have people there to take care of stuff that needs to be done in homes. And as for the rest of it, I think the, 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 the way in which we work allows us to be able to be quite geographically scaled, right? So we don't just operate like in one small postcode. What we have is we, ha we operate throughout Sydney, Melbourne, Brisbane and surrounds, and we're able to cover a fairly large geography because we've built up local areas of, exp of expertise um, in places where we need them. And the rest of it is all being handled kind of through our systems and our background technology. So for example, finding a great treaty in, you know, in the lower North shore of Sydney versus like, like, um, you know, a, a Fortitude Valley in Brisbane, right? We know where those tradies work. We actually track them like, hey, this person works in this specific mm -hmm. area. So when we need to find somebody for a maintenance request, like all of this data that we're tracking on all of these different tradies are there. We have real estate agents who know those areas really well. They recommend those tradies. We go out, we service them, we find them, and then we use that data that we build up over time as they do work for us to really assess the quality of those kinds of things. And I think that that's the important part of it, right? Is that you don't need to live there in order to be able to understand the, the local knowledge that you need to have to make sure the, do the job is done well. And do you also build tools for those tradies? I could imagine that if you're a, a tradesperson in an area and uh, there was a good concentration of different uh, customers, you could end up fulfilling quite a bit of your like work through that. Do, do you also build for them or, or not yet? Or how do you think about that? We do build tools for tradies, but I think, you know, look, I think a really important part of this, right, is that you have to focus on what people want to do in, in their kind of line of work, right? So mm -hmm. we don't want to make, we don't, we, we don't make our tradies download apps or like create logins or do these things because it's hard for them. And it's just like, they've already got mm. systems. Why do we need to try and like make them use another one, have another password, have another email. So the products that we build for our tradespeople are emails, SMS and responsive websites that are catered towards them, right? So that like, if you're a tradesperson, you can work within your flow. You've always got your phone on you. Great. Like we send you, like we make it really easy for you to be able to view a work order, to send an invoice, to do the things that you need to do. We don't want to make it hard for you, right? Like we want you to focus yeah. on doing what you want to do best, which is being a great plumber or being a great sparky or whatever it happens to be. We don't want you to focus your time on trying to like, oh God, how do I understand how to operate this app? It's like, nope, let's keep it simple. Yeah. Email, SMS, responsive websites that, you know, work wherever you are. And that's really our focus around how we build for tradespeople. That makes sense. So it sounds like the way it, there's, it's so multi-sided. So you have like the tenant who really is the person that is almost like, ingesting the data into the platform and then the platform has the systems to enable you to process that data in a really efficient way and then where people need to come in to uh, add a layer of servicing beyond the data capable servicing you have your own property managers and then you have the tradespeople or work people who do the work and you really just plug into the way they already work and that uh, 
is the most efficient way to grow this and that opens up geographies in, in interesting ways that traditionally haven't been possible. Do you have competitors trying to do the same thing as you've seen more success? Have you seen other people popping up or other, I imagine some of these property management businesses are actually probably much bigger businesses than people realize. And as they see this, maybe try to replicate it. Has that been something that's happened or how do you see that? Yeah. I mean, look, I think our biggest competitors, honestly, are traditional real estate agents, you know, like they're like 80, 90% mm -hmm. of the market. So, um, you know, when we think of our competitors, that's primarily who we think about. And as you've just said, it's, it's a complex business, right? It's tenants, tradespeople, um, you know, uh, owners, uh, our home experts, like kind of bringing them all together and doing it in a way where like everybody knows what's actually going on. That's not easy to do. And I, and, you know, this is kind of what we talked about a little bit before with, with this mode of bringing together the operations piece of it, the technology piece of it, it's hard. It is hard. And that is why yeah. I think a lot of people don't necessarily try to get into it, but I think there's so much value and um, such a powerful business that you can create as a result of it. But yeah, I, I think, you know, for us, the way we really think about this is that um, traditional agents are our biggest competitors. Your experience at Uber, it sounded like a, an amazing one. I know we haven't jumped into that in depth today, but how much did you get exposure to the operation side and how much did that feed into your product work? Because I think you would obviously now being the founder CEO, get exposure across everything. But I imagine even though you joined Uber very early, its growth was wild and that those departments like, did you get a lot of interaction between the two and that really give you your current point of view or it was, it's more indifferent that that point of view has been formed? Oh yeah, absolutely. Like, I mean, I just, I don't think that Uber would be the company that it is today if operations and product and, you know, operations and technology in general, um, weren't really tightly integrated. I think one of the great things that, that Uber actually kind of like pioneered and really put together is this idea of like product operations. So people from the operations background who work very closely and they part with product teams to do that stuff together. Um, and it's like, you, you need it. You really need it because it's like what we do a different every day in terms of what we build and our technology and what we create. We're not just building technology. We're actually working hand in hand with our ops team to refine processes and actually make the technology fit those processes and make the processes mold to work better with the technology. So I think you have to have a really deep understanding of both. And, and that's why operations ultimately reports into me because I just get a much deeper understanding for the challenges and the, and the problems that get faced by an operations team and therefore can really bring our product and technology to come together to, to solve those things. Yeah, that's fascinating there. And I feel like we're at the cusp of these hybrid approach businesses. Like Uber is probably the best example over the last 10 years, but I'm struggling to think of many others where I've seen it. Um, but I mean, as Uber's demonstrated and as different has demonstrated, there's an absolute need and opportunity for these types of businesses. Do you see them? Yeah. Are there other examples you think about or other areas where you see it's only a matter of time before we start seeing this applied somewhere else? Or is the answer just oh, everywhere? Yeah. I think it's I think it's going to be in everything, right? And, you, and I think you alluded to a great example earlier, which is Amazon, right? Amazon is the ultimate base of logistics and technology coming yep. together. Like it's an incredible company in terms of what they're able to do. Like you know, press a button and Prime, and you get it in like you know, in the U.S. you can get like two hour primed out deliveries. That's pretty amazing. Like when you start to think about that, right? All these food delivery companies that you see, like that's a huge part of it as well, right? Um, you know, Airbnb even like you have to think about like how all this stuff fits together. It's nature of marketplaces, supply, demand, and technology connecting those two things together to ultimately facilitate and create a better experience. I think we're just going to keep seeing more and more of those build over time. Like it's it's going to be very hard, I think, to create a business that doesn't have an element of both technology and operations around it. Like you always have, of course, um, you know, great businesses in the SaaS space. And like, that's a huge part of those things. Um, but like mm -hmm. when it comes outside of SaaS, like I think you're going to have so many examples where you really just have to bridge this gap between the logistics and operations piece and the technology that you build. And they have to work hand in hand to create a great consumer experience. And do you think as you think about difference future that you will, continue to need to invest in technology R&D at a high rate, or you think there's a cruising altitude you can get to that you, you'll then kind of maintain that level? Like it's not, 
um, necessarily something that needs to be innovated on constantly beyond a certain baseline that just has never exists. Like, how do you think about that spectrum? Yeah. I mean, I think that ultimately if we're going to go, we believe that our business is to be the home assistant. And I think being the home mm-hmm. assistant just keeps unlocking these new areas and new industries and we'll need to keep building to make that happen. So I think the, the, the scope for innovation is kind of unending, right? There's so many things we can do there. I want to get to a point, obviously, where it's like, we're not just building property management products over and over again. I think there's a point at which you're like, yep, okay, cool. We've built it. We've designed those systems. We've done it. Mm -hmm. And then it's like, great, let's go, let's go build all these other things that being a great property manager then unlocks that that's the way I really think about the the growth of the business. It's not, I don't think within your scope, but I quite like tinkering with gadgets and I set up the voice activated lights in my apartment and my fiance loves to do a thing when we're chatting on the phone of yelling out to Google to switch off the lights or switch on the lights, whichever is the opposite. <laughs> so I think control settings in the home assistant are going to be pretty important, especially around. Yes. I can imagine kids kids might kids might get in and order a pool or something at Christmas time, and you wake up, you're like, you did what? Uh, <laughs> Where was that? Seems like a very large package to be delivered. <laughs> yeah. And the home assistant thing, I think, is fascinating. And it obviously makes sense as an extension of the the database that you're building around people servicing home and and validating that that process. When will that happen? Like, is that a goal that you're like, oh, it's going to take us five to 10 years to really do a great job in the in our current ecosystem and then the transition will be natural to home assistant. Like how do you think about the phasing of that? Yeah, I think that in general, the way that, you know, I think about growing our business is from the perspective of building products, which is in a very iterative fashion. And um, so we're actually partnering with a number of different people and experimenting on kind of new ideas now about how we can bring services into the business and be able to offer those to the people that we work with. The key, though, I think is creating trust, right? First, you have to build Mm -hmm. a really strong level of trust um, and make sure that the property management business that we're building is great. Because like that's the thing I think on which everything else relies on. You don't you don't deserve to sell new services to people until you've earned their trust of like delivering on the service that you initially set out to accomplish. So I think we're, we're already part piloting a few ideas. Uh, next year, we'll talk, continue to pilot more ideas and then double down on the ones that I think really work. But first and foremost, we just want to keep building a great consumer experience on property management. And um, and I think there's there's, a, there's always a lot to do there. I think we're, we're doing pretty well now, but there's always more that we can improve on. And, um, and that's going to be our, our first thing. But I think we, you have to be able to branch out and deliver on these ideas pretty early on, but you have to find the balance between your primary focus and then kind of the future, right? And it's this sort of like constant Mm -hmm. mix in building a business between the tactical and the strategic. And it's like, if you focus only on tactical and never do the strategic, well, then you don't grow. But then if you focus only on the strategic and don't do the tactical, well, then you won't exist. So you need to find the balance of those two things. It's tricky. I actually, we have a meeting with our CEO tomorrow and we, we all got to submit a question. And my question was exactly this. I was like, because it's, I feel like it's something that has to change relative to how the business is performing. I think the best heuristic I've heard, which is uh, too simple to often put into action, but it sounds great. And it, I think it helps frame the problem. It's like, are you distribution constrained or are you product constrained? Like, do you have enough mm-hmm. products to sell? And it's just you you're trying to keep up with actually selling them or actually have you started to saturate that opportunity and now you need more products to sell. And it feels like given the Australian obsession with property, there is still a very long runway for different to run in helping um, investors manage their property better and build out that database. I think there's like, I might get this wrong, I probably will, like 2 million tradespeople in Australia or it's like 1 to 2 million. It's a huge workforce. Yeah, it's a, it's a big number. And there's 2.3 million rental properties in Australia, like the biggest yeah. market. And it's a massively, um, you know, look, 80% of people use a professional property manager. Um, and the the vast majority of the of the property management spaces, it's a massively distributed um, uh, ecosystem. And so I think like the largest player um, has maybe 5% of the market, you know, It's 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 really, really fragmented. You have a huge opportunity with your existing product set that I imagine is only going to get better over time. Um, And then if you extend that into the home assistant, that that just 
adds the rest, I guess, of the, um, what are we, 20 something million people. Um, and, and that's just Australia, you know, like, I mean, the, the world yeah. is open, right? And, and we actually yeah. very seriously considering, uh, you know, international expansion, of course, COVID, you know, changes a lot of those plans, but like, we absolutely believe that there is a market for this. So given the huge size of the market and how early you are in it, and then the amount of tangential markets, do you have actual, um, how do you pro actually prioritize those decisions between strategy and tactics? Because to your point, you could get lost in strategy all day long. You could get lost in tactics all day long. How do you make the decision? Like, for instance, how would you make the trade-off between, no, we want to do the home assistant move in Australia before we do the geographical expansion with, um, with our current business? Yeah. I mean, look, I, th I don't think there's a silver bullet answer to this. Um, the way that I think mm -hmm. about it is that I like we're, we're, we're in a position now after sort of three years of kind of like actively running this business and like having it publicly available to people where we, we really can start to delve into partnership services and offers and start to play with that. So the way I think about it is that like from a product and design and engineering perspective, I want to build a platform on which we can start to offer some of those services and pilot them and start testing them. But in a way where our partnerships team can run those without any additional work from engineering and they can find a way to be able to sort of manage the pilot and be able to do it. In parallel, the way that product engineering design are really focusing their time is still that we've got a lot of tactical stuff we need to do, right? And I would say that we're mm -hmm. probably like 75% tactical and 25% strategic. And I think that that's a really good mix for where we are at this size and scale of the business right now. And over time, we'll be able to change that mix up a little bit more once we have more confidence in kind of the strategic opportunities, because there's a lot of different things we can try. We don't necessarily know which ones are going to land, right? Like we have an idea. Yeah. These are hypotheses. So we want to invest enough time for us to be able to um, increase our confidence level and have a stronger understanding of what the strategic opportunities are. And, and that's the way we look at it. Hey, how much do we need to put in to get that level of understanding to enable our partnerships team to build knowledge? Okay, cool. It's that much. It's roughly 25%. The rest of it, we're going to really keep focusing here on this, on this tactical piece of the business. So th this podcast has been around unconventional business approaches. And I think most of the guests that we've had on to date, it's been around industries where there's been a different way of doing things. But what is I've really enjoyed about learning about different is your the way you've gone about this isn't just industry specific. It's actually something, as we said, like a lot of industries are going to have this operations meets technology solution versus one or the other. And I think through that, they're going to deliver more customer experience that's going to be you know, far more enjoyable if you're on the receiving end. And it's also going to liberate whoever's supplying that experience to be working on the work that they find very interesting and hopefully removing the mundane work. So it's been fascinating to learn about it as it relates to property services. I'm looking forward to the home assistant as long as it has voice control so that Maz, if you're listening, you cannot order a pool or something crazy like that, which she's inclined to do, especially if, if we have a disagreement, I could end up with a pool, but uh, it's been fascinating to learn and it sounds like it's working extremely well and, and that the future is is very, very bright. The market opportunity is certainly enormous. So congratulations on the success so far, but uh, I think by far the best is yet to come. So um, thanks for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, it's, uh, it's hopefully an exciting future ahead and I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to 2021. <laughs> thanks for tuning in to Unconventional Business by HubSpot. If you liked what you listened to, please subscribe and I'll catch you on the next episode.